It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. everyone and thanks for tuning in once again to Kubrick's Universe. This is our first episode of 2023 and we are now into our sixth year of doing this show. Time flies when you're having fun and talking Stanley. As you know we have been celebrating 50 years of A Clockwork Orange with many great guests throughout 2021 and 2022 including Droogs, Malcolm McDowell and Michael Tarn, actresses Jillian Hills and Shirley Jaffe as well as experts and academics. So we now turn to the fans of the film, the man on the street and a sampling of the people who took something from the film personally, the film buffs who include this in their favorite films lists. We have a great selection of reminiscences, remembrances, thoughts, and lasting impressions of A Clockwork Orange from some of our listeners and members of the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society, followed by a SCAS Academy Zoom session, which was hosted by Mark Lentz. These weekly discussions on all things Kubrick are open to all. Just Google Meetup Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society to find the link and sign up. And away we go. Robert Bellissimo from Toronto, Canada. I first saw A Clockwork Orange when I was, I, I believe, about 16. And I, what I remember at first was just finding it very disturbing, which it is. and But enjoying it at the same time. Was too young to really grasp what it was about. But just enjoying the film and leaving it at that. And I had a friend who loved a Clockwork Orange, and he told me that it's actually quite funny. It's actually quite of a black comedy. And I was like, how is that a comedy? So we watched it together, and as he was laughing at a lot of the moments, I started to see where the humor lied. And so I, I was like, okay, well, that was an interesting discovery on my second viewing. But I don't think I ever really grasped what the story was about. And I've seen it a decent amount of times, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Certainly well over... 10 years, and last year being the 50th anniversary of uh, A Clockwork Orange, uh, I felt it was time to to revisit the film and see what I think now. And I had a really interesting experience uh, because I was trying to figure out what is this about? And I can see certain things, 
and other things I had to really kind of ponder on. But I think the film is is really about the darkest, some of the darkest sides of of human human nature and its exploration of the entertainment of of sex and and violence and how we're titillated by violence and, and really uh, have also our our morals sometimes are really in question over the decisions we make everything is sort of really stylized and really over the top and the violence is very over the top so it's certainly so so satirical in in the way he's depicting depicting Alex as he's this guy who goes out and rapes women and and hurts people and is and and gets off on this violence and even the early rape we see in the film it's on a stage you know and so what does that have to say we're all sort of complicit in in being uh, voyeuristic in in witnessing uh, these 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 atrocities that are on the screen, and be, also it's from Alex's point of view. So as he's you know the, the film is very much has the feeling of uh, of disturbing scenes, but then also the scenes are are told with a great deal of of fun and over the and in an over the top uh, way. And it's sort of like, okay, where, where, how am I supposed to feel? He's, he's not necessarily directly telling you how to feel. Cause I think it, 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 it plays in a couple of different ways. It's both very disturbing. And also you can't help but laugh at some of those scenes. And I think he's, he's holding the mirror up to say, why do we find these things funny? Why are we titillated by sex and violence so much? And that is now so relevant more than ever i mean you go through social media i mean some of the images i see on apps like tiktok as you just scroll through and like violent violent images and short videos and i'm thinking what is this like why are why are people flipping through this and and this was made to be out of some kind of entertainment uh look look at the media you know you look on all of these headlines it's all a uh, conflict and it's made to be entertainment. Politics is a huge example. Uh, you look at you, you videos and, and stuff or, or taglines. It's, you know, socialist destroys conservative because conservative <laughs> destroys socialism. So everything is a is a, a point of theatrics. Uh, politics is so, you know, the age of Trump, everything is made into reality TV. This is another thing that is really interesting in the film is this question of why are we not capable of loving one another more why are we not capable of listening to each other reaching out to one another it's it's as if uh people have such a hard time communicating that the only way to solve crime in this film the government the only thing they can come up with with these overcrowded jails which is called costing the taxpayers money and the government money is to find some kind of drug or medicine in order to control them you know and and take out their violent instincts and their instincts to rape women and basically so that when they have that instinct they will feel sick to their stomach and they won't they will not even try to do it so where's and of course the question is where is the free will it's an extraordinary film that leaves more questions than answers and i really really love it you can follow my film reviews at youtube.com slash robert bellissimo at the movies thank you william duffy of County Cavan, Ireland. Hi there. The effect Stanley Kubrick's first viewing of A Clockwork Orange for me 
How do I verbalize? The very first viewing left an impression on me. I, I, I viewed it in America. I'm based in Ireland, but I remember for the very first time seeing it when I was in America. I was on a working trip in Florida in America way back in the early 90s. Um, I came to it in my early 20s. Uh, most people, or a lot of people, come to it when they're teenagers or, you know, have a kind of violatory-like experience, an illicit experience watching it. For me, in my early 20s, away from home, around 1990, on pirate tape, because it was still banned, uh, it was banned between I think 73 to 19 to, to the year 2000. The ban was lifted in the British Isles around 2000, 2001. And straight out of the gates, there was an instant impression on me visually odd, and surprisingly enough, audio. I remember thinking it was very. Stereophonic, psychedelic. It was, um, if I remember a, a out of world. It was like watching something made by an alien, by another species from a star system. That's the first thing. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, by that stage, I'd seen quite a lot of films. Um, this just was completely out on its own. Uh, there was nothing comparable. Um, I, I mean, possibly a Fellini film or a crazy Roger Corman film might have, may have touched it, but it didn't even. Um, then after that, I remember the way the film dealt with erotica, I thought, and violence. And the two together, running in parallel, completely blew my mind and left a stirring impression on me, to be honest, because I had never seen anything like that before. And it was the handling of it. It was so steady on the switch slash camera. The material, you could tell that the, right, that the director is right or the director is auteur. For whatever reason, which got communicated, had a had a complete understanding of the material he was dealing with. You could tell that the, the director had all bases covered and all angles covered. And I remember thinking how mind blown that was. I didn't know at the time Kubrick was not in his early mid forties at that point, but to think that the scale of the subject matter that he covered in that film. And to communicate to a guy in his early 20s, he had full, total, complete control over it. To me, it was just absolutely mind-blowing, and that would be the lasting impression when I think back on my first viewing of A Clockwork Orange. An amazing podcast. Keep it up, guys. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work. Colin Partington from St. Helens, England. 
my first memory of a clockwork orange was turning on the TV or turning over and noticing Alex having an aversion therapy. At first I thought it was real because I was only a kid then. And I watched the rest of the film and it scared the life out of me. Um, I forgot about it for years. And then when I started looking at Kubrick's films a little more, I realised he directed it and it all kind of made sense. Still, the film still scares me, but it's a classic. I love it. John O'Donnell of Dublin, Ireland. Hello, Kubrick's Universe. My name is John. My relationship with A Clock Orange is probably a little different than most others. I grew up in Dublin, Ireland, where A Clock Orange was famously banned. On a side tangent, A Clock Orange was rejected by Irish film censors on April the 10th, 1973. That's two years after it premiered in London in 1971. Even though Ireland and UK are grouped together as a film territory, but by 73 the controversy was well known so the Irish film censor outright rejected it. But under a law, a banned film can be resubmitted for censorship after 7 years. But by then Kubrick had the film banned in Britain, so Warner Brothers did not bother with the Irish territory. So I've always been into movies my entire life and they've normally been limited to renting movies in my age group. Any films for an older audience I did own as a kid would have more than likely been recorded off the television or uh, purchased from the car boot of a car, a videotape guy who would pull up to our council estate weekly. I never really had a choice until the DVD format came out and I had a little job serving tables in a local pub. I'd actually buy DVDs in Virgin Megastores, so it was probably around 2002. Um, the only director I would have ever followed up until then would have been like Spielberg and Tarantino to an extent. I grew up thinking that you'd follow Michael Myers film to film rather than follow John Carpenter. But I, I did know the image of Alex way before I even knew it was a movie. I, I could have been a band logo for all I knew at the time. But I purchased this cardboard clamshell with a blue bar with a blue bar with a white headline saying the Stanley Kubrick collection. Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. The title did not actually have the letter A at the start of it. It looked it just looked so iconic to me, like and it had a age eighteen rated. And as I said, I was fourteen at the time. And I, I looked pretty old for my age, but even buying it, I felt like I was doing something I shouldn't have been. Eighteen rated and it didn't look like a horror movie, so I was hoping maybe a bit of nudity or something, some coarse words. So I put that DVD on as a boy, and by the time I finished it, I'd become a man. I'd never seen a movie so funny and fresh. And then I found it was like 30 years old. It, the callback scene with the writer had me gasping. I'd never seen anything like it. I knew Alex was a bad guy, but it was ruined from every step of the way. Was it Malcolm's performance? Probably. Was it Kubrick's direction? Probably. Was it Burgess' writing? Probably. It just all worked perfectly for me. Um, I would actually, I would call my friends over and I would introduce them to the film like I was running some sort of grindhouse theatre in my bedroom. It just changed my perspective, perspective on like what a movie could be. And even after 50 years, it feels futuristic. Like many before me, it started my own obsession with Kubrick and I did try to read a novel a few times, but I just can't get my head around it. So for the non-academic, quite like me, um, the movies will always be there. Would I let my ch- children watch it when they're 14? No way, but if they fall in love with a film, it's definitely something I would like them to experience. Thanks, guys. Next up is the SCAS Academy discussion session, hosted by our very own Mark Lentz. Mark Lentz of New York, New York. I first saw the movie, I took took a course on Kubrick. That's how I discovered him in college. And with each movie, we saw them in order. 
with each movie, I was think I was liking Kubrick more and more. And we got up to 2001. I felt like I was floating. I like I was levitating. And then we got a Clockwork Orange, and I was very, well, I was very sensitive to violence in movies. And I remember the first part. I really wanted to root. I really wanted Alex to be the hero of the movie, but he kept doing worse and worse things. Uh, and when I got to the home invasion, it was, I was just appalled. It's such a brutal scene. And, uh, but the thing that just totally wowed me about it was it was my introduction to Beethoven's Ninth and uh, Wendy Carlos. Uh, the music was just awesome. And when he combines the music and the images, Together, that was like, that's the essence of Kubrick, why I love Kubrick, music and images. Uh, and I do remember the, the highlight of my first couple of viewings was when Alex is beaten up by the old guys and then the cops come and there's a shot when he looks up into this white sky and there's Dim looking down at him. Uh, the idea that yesterday's thugs could be today's policemen really like i got that right in the face uh and it was just i i don't think i've ever experienced that kind of uh like shock surprise in a movie before intellectual surprise so that was and i've gradually become uh you know i still all the years since I still am remembering how unpleasant the movie is. Like you don't get over that. Uh, and that kind of comes and goes. Uh, I was thinking to myself, why did, why did Stanley have to make this movie? Why did he have to go and make this movie? It really changed my opinion of Stanley at that time. James Robert Sherman from San Francisco. Okay, just to set up uh, uh, okay, I first time I saw uh, uh, A Clockwork Orange was in the summer of 1980. Okay, before that, the, it had been banned in the United, or at least very, very hard to see. Right? I mean, I, my understanding was was it was banned in England. Okay, I mean you couldn't really see it, and you could see it in some Euro European countries. So it was sort of like this contraband, right? It was like that was the added sort of flavor to that. Okay, by 1980, I was 18 years old, and so I, of course I had become interested in Stanley Kubrick, and I'd seen you know a lot of his, I'd seen all of his films up till up to uh, The Shining, but I had not seen Clockwork Orange, right? So Clockwork Orange, you actually had to, it was very fun. It was a fun experience. Actually, the first time seeing it, okay, was because we had to go, I lived in nor far northern California, very small town, and we had to go to Sacramento, which was the next biggest town from us, about 180 miles away, right? And so we had, to, so it was all, of, and it was a midnight showing. So all of it had the elements that should appeal to any teenage uh, boy of a clandestine of we're going to the we're going to go smoke in the boys room type of attitude right and so it was like fascinating the the whole romantic so uh, aspect of actually seeing the film right okay um the impression the first impression that i got was was that what i really liked was was it's pristine perfection in the sense that that it just seemed to pace itself so very well 
Okay. And it was a narrative. It's, I think it's one of Kubrick's more direct narratives in the sense that the story is very direct. I mean, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the, 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 the complications of his later films, like, like The Shining and Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. But you see the elements I think he was going to use in that. Okay. In when he made uh, A Cockroach in 1971, right? And so the thing is, um, so so I was just struck by every single frame could be something you'd hang on your wall. I mean, literally, that was I loved Mark. You mentioned, you know, that the the yeah that great scene where it's it, you know it's dim and uh, what was his other friend jo Georgie Georgie and dim right? And it was like yeah that sort of shock to a certain extent, right? Okay, because and. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 and also, I share your same revulsion for the for the home invasion scene. That just was like there were at moments of that, and I still sometimes if I watch it by myself, I kind of go through that part. You know, I watch it, but mostly if I if I'm seeing if I'm seeing it again after a short period, I go through that. I actually fast forward because it just so is emotionally. I, things hit me emotionally very hard, and so it's like I sort of pass through that, right? You know, so and so I did share sort of yeah that same reaction, that same sort of shock, that same sort of helpless anger and and frustration and fear and terror and so and i still say that that sequence is probably the most probably the most intense sexual assault in movies that in my experience and in, in what i've seen right and so the thing which isn't one of my favorite that's like the worst horrific to me a sexual assault is the worst horrific uh uh, uh aspect of that you can see in a film right so yeah but for me and what it also was was fascinating for me was since i had a chance to see it uh, nine years after it had been released i was really really and i still take this as that a lot of the predictions had come true in the sense of the violence of those groups I mean, look at what happened in the late 80s in England, okay? And not as much in America, but certainly in England with the punk groups. And, you know, and, and that goes back to a tradition of the mods and rockers back in the 60s and stuff like that. But I think that it's interesting that, that Kubrick foresaw that type of society easily happening. And I think it did. Okay, and I think that there's an element of that, you know, and so the thing is sort of the feeling or at least the feeling of, of lawlessness in, in our society and stuff like that, and almost this, you know, this un, un, inability to really address it. Okay, so for me, though, the, but the first impression of A Clockwork Orange, just to reiterate, is just the perfection of the production. It just seemed to me like such a, even more than Barry Lyndon, even though Barry Lyndon is a beautiful, beautiful film. For me, it was just this perfect well-paced nothing wasted nothing nothing left to chance and so it's like you know i think it's i think it's one of his best films but that's saying some you know that's that's pretty much for all of his films but yeah i know it was an interesting experience and, and like i said just the clandestine ooh, smoking a joint for the first time effect you know it's like we're gonna go and we're being rebellious and we're traveling to go see this this contraband film that is so controversial that was fun that was fun Ian Roscow from London, England. Yeah, I, I saw it in 1978. I was 19. Uh, and as James has just rightly pointed out, it was not available to see in the UK. Um, and um, I happened to be on a, a, an interrail tour of Europe with a friend of mine, and we ended up in Paris, and it was on there. Um, and so we went to see it, partly because, you know, as, as, as James hinted as well, it was seeing something that was forbidden and uh, uh, we arrived a few minutes late 
and consequently when the film finished at, at the time it was you know i don't know if it's the same in the cinemas in the states but quite uh, uh, often in europe if a film finished and it hadn't filled up for the next uh ne next performance you could just stay in so oh, yeah. my, my overwhelming recollection of, uh, of a clockwork orange is that we decided to stay in and watch the first few minutes that we'd missed and then actually stayed and watched the whole thing the second time as well um so it was one of the first films that i sat through twice effectively because we literally had only missed uh, I, i can't remember precisely how much but it was only a few minutes before we were saying should we stay or should we go type of thing and uh, uh and we decided to stay um i i can't say that i had the same sort of views of perfection as it were i i i i i think i was looking at it at the time as partly as sort of seeing something that was a bit forbidden but also because it was reflecting a sort of uh violence in an extreme way uh well not necessarily extreme in some cases of, of things that had been going on in britain and were the, what we call bother boys and uh skinheads and the uh, 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 and the like uh, earlier on in the 70s it seemed to be a reflection to to a large degree of what was going on there so the uh, and uh, i was 19 and not necessarily a very grown up 19 and uh, uh you know i didn't necessarily look at the nuances and the dualities and the and the various um aspects that mark mentioned about the policeman you know the thugs becoming the policeman that that's something that struck me a lot more later on uh and how you know i mean we we, we could look at the current scenario in uh in russia and we've got a a thug of a president who you know is ostensibly the alex who's uh uh been offered a, a job in government you know on good pay or whatever and made uh, and made his way there i mean you know putin is alex uh and uh, uh you know so so but obviously those thoughts would not have occurred to me at the time but i thoroughly enjoyed it and sat through it twice lisa from washington dc i was also very young when i first saw it But the impression I general impression I had at the time of Stanley Kubrick is that he was prescient so that he had a sense of what was coming. And um I look, I was really young. I was like 17. First year of college, 18. Uh what I my takeaway from the movie was uh <sighs> Well, I don't know if this is correct, but really my my lasting impression of the movie was the violence and the the feeling that this was something coming in our uh social um like I said this that we were we were coming into a more violent culture. That that was my feeling. That was my takeaway from the movie at the time. I cannot tell you anything about the nuances. <laughs> you know, I was really young. I didn't know what to look for. But anyway, that was my takeaway. John from Los Angeles. I saw the movie for the first time when I was about 16. So that was in the 90s. Uh Pulp Fiction had just come out. I'd seen that and then uh, at the time I was I had already seen uh, Dr. Strange Love 2001 Passive Glory. I was 
taking these cassettes um, and watching them with a friend at school. Like after school, we'd <laughs> we'd watch them. Um, so, and I, they had a Clockwork Orange, so I wasn't part of any kind of ban or anything in the U.S. So I grabbed that one and we watched that one and. I think the rapes, uh, there, there are like three things that I can remember because I was reading at the time also the Confessions of St. Augustine. And if you know anything about that book, Ooh. it's like the second book. He He's like contemplating a lot on his sinful youth, right? Because he was kind of an Alex growing up um, when he was when he was young. But uh, uh, the three things I remember are the rape scene, obviously. I mean, I'd just come off of Pulp Fiction, and I found that more brutal than anything in Pulp Fiction, that rape scene. And the ending hospital scene, again, uh, we were talking about earlier. Um, it's interesting you just made that association with Putin, because I was thinking the same thing. Um, but the ending hospital scene with the minister... I thought that was interesting again, how, you know, with Burgess, he wrote that 21st chapter thinking that people grow up, um, you know, they eventually grow up like Alex will eventually grow up in that 21st chapter. He has this um, kind of entrance into adulthood, but you know, I go, I go back to Kubrick and, and his, his desire like for in chess of not just taking that first move, but trying to find out what's the best solution to this problem. I think he found the perfect solution by the fact that, you know, some people don't grow up. <laughs> some people <laughs> remain Alex's. And that's when someone mentioned Putin before, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking of that earlier, actually. Like, how, how do I put that in terms? But someone like Putin, you know, just likes that uh, horror, sh- uh, likes, likes that ultra violent stuff and thinks it's you know war is cool and we're just going to go off and do this but um yeah at the time i was struck by that though because when you're 16 year old 16 year old uh, after having seen dr strange love as well and seeing like the this kind of uh, underdeveloped uh, political system in place with the president you know they're acting kind of like kids um this immature theme going through it I, I caught onto that. So like the Dr. Strange level, I had just seen that. And then seeing that with, again with the minister, uh, you know, just being kind of like a mirror version of Alex. Um, yeah, that, that impressed me. And then again, back to this uh, St. Augustine thing, I guess the best way to put it is the myth of the innocence of youth, because a lot of times with like children, you know, people think, Oh, isn't he so cute? They're just kind of just this, this thing about the innocence and purity of youth. And at the time I was reading St. Augustine uh, Confessions and there's a scene in, in Augustine where Augustine is with his droogs, you know, and they're going about. And one night they just, they decide, hey, we're just going to go in and steal a load of pears from this farmer. And um, I wrote down this quote uh, from it where, where it says, let my heart tell thee what it sought there that I should have be that I should be gratuitously evil, having no temptation to ill, but the ill itself. So it was evil for the sake of evil, right? Uh, there was no uh, serpent tempting him like in the Garden of Eden. It was <laughs> it was gratuitous evil, evil for the sake of evil, right? So it's 
you know, and I see that with, uh, I mean, nephews and nieces when they're young too, you know, it's like, oh, he's so cute. But, you know, I see my nephew take like this big balloon hammer and knock his cousin over the head with it. And it's like, okay, you need to apologize. Like, no, I'm not going to apologize. It's like the joy. I mean, and you have that whole uh, duality thing going on there that the same source of Alex's joy for like the, for Beethoven and Oda Joy, that's the same source that is, gets like joy out of raping and doing bad things. And what I think one of Burgess's messages in A Clockwork Orange is you can't just suppress that. I mean, you can't, it's there and it's something you has, you know, uh, morality is something that is taught and learned, but, and in some ways is innate, but at the same time, it comes from that same desire to do joy. Like all the good things that motivate people to do great things are also the same kind of thing that motivates people to do evil things. And yeah, so that's my spiel on that. David Sukavati from Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know where to start on this one. I mean, I could really go on, but I saw it in uh, Omaha, Nebraska in 72 in the summer with a bunch of exchange students. Um, some, I think it was a group of about 30, half were from Europe and half was from Nebraska and surrounding areas. And uh, we were getting ready to uh, go overseas, half of us, and uh, it was at a thing called Urban Expo. So we went and saw Clockwork Orange and um, I loved it. I, um, I did think it was one of the most perfect movies I'd ever seen. And um, I was ready for it. Uh, the thing was, is that I'd seen um, Romeo and Juliet, Franco Zeffirelli's film. And I got into the Shakespeare side of the language so much. So when the NADSAC came along, um, I loved that. And then um, I was so much into music and the Beatles and all of that. I thought that the music to Clockwork Orange uh, fit right into that whole scheme. So, um, it, and I identified with Alex, <laughs> which is probably the wrong thing to say, but I really got off onto the adventure of the whole thing. I agree the, the, the rape and that whole scene was the worst part. And, um, Alex was trying to redeem himself, I think, to the audience. Um, but the whole concept of law and order and gangs and um, a youth trying to get away with as much as he could and that combined with the Beethoven, you know, I thought Beethoven was actually redeemed in that movie because, um, you know, there was a certain uh, stigma attached to um, Beethoven because of uh, World War II. And I actually thought that that movie redeemed that. And we had been also in music class at high school. We had been listening to Walter Carlos in a chorus class. And we had talked about that. So I was ready for that from Switched On Bach. So I was like uh, 18 when I saw it and um, when I got to Europe, then it was, um, unbeknownst to me, I was right in the place where that music was recorded. So I was backstage at the Berlin Philharmonic Hall 
Um, and I was probably uh, in a place where um, Alex himself would have envied. So, and uh, if you see that picture of me at the Philharmonic Hall, I have that Alex glint in my eye. <laughs> and um, so it's still one of my favorite movies. And um, I think it had a lot to say socially. And um, so I'll just stop there. Michael Gontoski from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was um, 18 years old when I first saw it. Uh, just out of high school, uh, early 90s. I rented down a VHS tape. Remember those, everybody, VHS tapes? <laughs> from a, Yeah, from a, from a Blockbuster, Blockbuster video. Remember those, too? Those are all going, too. I remember I, I had... I had very high expectations for this film because I'd never seen it before. But I had read about it as, since I was a kid growing up, you know. So I was very, very anxious to see it. And when I saw it, it kind of it didn't live up to my expectations, actually, which I was kind of surprised about. I uh, the first half, I love the first half of the film. I like the film a lot better now on, on subsequent viewings. I, I love it now. I had a hard time warming up to it at the age of eighteen. I found it to be a very foreign. What Nad sat with, his, with the Droog language, I had a hard time understanding that. It felt so foreign of a film to me. That world looked so foreign and the language sounded so foreign to me at that age. Like I said, I understand it a lot more now. And I like the film. I love the film now. But I had a very hard time. It came off to be a very cold film at that age in my first, on first viewing. And the other thing I had with the film, I love the first half, the way the movement, the film really moves in the first half. It really moves, like the first 45 minutes. And then it switch, uh, changes gears completely. The speed of the film changes into another film almost. You know, it slows down a lot and it gets into reform school. And I had a hard time adjusting to that, that, that change, you know, how the film, it's almost like two films in one, kind of like Full Metal Jacket's two films in one. You know, the drill camp sequence is so different from the nom sequence and, and vice versa. But you can't have one without the other. Same with the clockwork. You can't have that second half without the first half. And you can't have the first half without the the second half had to slow down, you know, to do justice to the first half and vice versa. But at the time, I remember thinking, wow, this is such a radical shift in, in, in tone. Uh, the second half of the film, I had a hard time adjusting to it, you know. So those are really, you know, my first impressions. I mean, the, I love the look of the film. It's great. The music is great. Malcolm McDowell is really brilliant in that film. He's great. Really great. But it was, uh, like I said, the first time it was kind of uh, just that world that Kubrick created was so foreign to me. The look was so foreign. That, like I said, that the, the Droog language was so foreign to me. I had not read the book yet. I read the book since, you know. Now, like I said, the film makes more sense to me. When you're, you're a teenager, that it's a hard, especially the first viewing too. I had a hard time with it, but I really now I love the film. That's my second favorite film next to 2001. It's Clockwork Orange. Mark McKinnon from Catskill, New York. Yes, uh, I saw it on its initial release when it came out. So I guess that was 71 or 72. I, I went with my uh, film teacher from high school. His name was Ed Roberts, wonderful man, very generous. Um, he had a subscription to uh, like a film society or film club. As a, as a teacher of film or just a teacher, he subscribed to this uh, program where he would get free tickets to premieres uh, at least once a month and sometimes every week. And he, he and I both lived in New Jersey. So 
he, he had uh, uh, the privilege to take one or two guests every time he'd go. So uh, he, he bought me on that day. We spent the whole day at the movies. We, our uh, initial, what we saw that day on his free pass was a movie called A Separate Piece, which was kind of a, a melodrama, 1972, I think it was made, 71. Kind of a little downbeat, not very, uh, not very uplifting, a little, not well executed, but interesting. Then we had lunch, and then we went to see <laughs> A Sorrow in the Pity, a four-and-a-half-hour documentary about the French resistance in World War II. And we were both history junkies. Anything to do with World War I and World War II immediately caught our attention. So we sat through that for four and a half hours. And when we came out, we made the joke. We didn't know what was more tired, our brains or our butts, for sitting there for so long. We, we had an intermission, of course, but the, the, the material of a sorrow and pity is kind of downbeat. You know, it's death, it's tragedy, it's the occupation of a country, it's the Gestapo, the Nazis, Hitler, all that stuff. Not exactly, you know, uplifting, cheery day at the movies. So we left, and then we, I don't know what we did, but I remember when we saw the movie. It was on 3rd uh, uh, Avenue. I don't know if the cinema is still there. I think it is 3rd Avenue or about 59th or 60th Street in Manhattan. And we got in, and it was the first run. I think it might have been just the first week or two. But before we went, in the days before we went, he, he told me that, uh, this movie might be a little difficult because he'd read about it. It might be a challenge for me. He wanted me to read the book. So I read the book and I, I kind of speed read it because I didn't, I only had a day or two before we went to New York. So I, 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 I kind of read the book quickly. I didn't completely digest it. But after a separate piece and after a sorrow and the pity, we sit down and I'm expecting some, you know, lighthearted entertainment, at least from having read the book not that well. I didn't expect this kind of immersion in uh, a completely alternate universe. And it was only the, the third Kubrick movie that I'd, I'd ever seen on a big screen. The first was Spartacus, and I was only six years old, so it didn't count. <laughs> uh, and I didn't even know what I was I didn't, I wasn't paying any attention to the director or anything like that. Just the big battle sequences and the spectacle and, and the, the history and all that. And then the, the takeaway from Spartacus is that when the battle sequence at the end started, my mother wanted to take me out because she didn't want me to see the violence. I said, why do you want me to leave the theater? She says, because people are going to die here. I said, good. This is the best part. <laughs> <laughs> Battles, military, wars. Great, six years old, love that stuff. But <laughs> it, it, it was only the a Clockwork Orange was only the second movie I'd ever seen of Kubrick on a big screen. I'd seen Doctor Strangelove on TV. I'd seen Paths of Glory in a 16 millimeter print in film class. I'd seen Lolita, I think, on TV. But I hadn't seen, other than 2001, I think, a Clockwork Orange was. The second movie I'd ever seen on, of Kubrick I'd ever seen on a big screen. And we had great seats. And the instant this shot, I think it's this same shot that comes up on the screen, I leaned in 
I leaned in, I leaned forward, and I said, this, this is going to be really good. Because he, that, that look on his face, he's got that devilish look, that antisocial look. He's a, you can tell right away he's an alpha male. Don't fuck around with me. I am out for mischief. I am out to do nasty things. And it's just the way it is, boys. And sure enough, the movie really paid off. Other people have um, commented that they were appalled by the violence and everything. I, you know, I was only 16 years old, so technically the movie was rated X. I shouldn't have even been there, but I had a adult guardian, so, you know, I was good to go. But I, I don't remember being all that shocked. And I, I mean, I had the, the advance notice of having read the book, so I knew more than just what you get from a movie poster or a trailer or anything like that. But I wasn't, I was prepared for more violence and more shock than the, than the movie on my first viewing actually delivered. I, I thought it was so brilliantly shot and brilliantly made that he's distinctly making his point without having to be too, too graphic. The rape scene was bad enough, but I liked the way he entertained us by the action that Alex's Droogs had with Billy Boy's uh, gang in the theater as Billy Boy was raping the woman and then the set to that they had to the thieving magpie, the way the action was cut to the music and the, the, the pane of glass smashing over his head and it cut to the music and the chain that uh, Alex or Georgie was using and it cut to the music. And I, you know, I was taken as much by the technique of the movie as I was by the content. So, you know, I, it was very entertaining, very brilliant. And I, I just saw right away, it was a completely different way of making a movie, uh, particularly of disguising the brutality of the book and the society without having to be too graphic and in your face about it. I mean, it was only 1972, so he couldn't be really that graphic and explicit anyway. But, you know, still in all, it could have been more, he, he, he could have found ways to add more shock value. But I think he substituted the shock value for really the dichotomy and the, 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 the parallel worlds of his story and the way he got you to root for Alex at the same time you hated him. And that's a real trick to be able to do that. You, you want to root for your main character, but at the same time you realize this guy is a real piece of poop. This guy is just out <laughs> for no good and he's going to kill a lot of people. But at the same time, you're sympathetic to him and you like him. How does that work? You know, I mean, only somebody like Kubrick could really pull that off. But I remember us being completely exhausted when we left the movie theater, because if A Clockwork Orange kind of doesn't wear you out, I don't know what will. But, but after after that day of a separate piece of sorrow and the pity, and then A Clockwork Orange, oh my goodness, it was, you know, you were exhausted and you hardly even moved. That's the... That's my takeaway on a clockwork orange. Bob Castle, 
from New Jersey, or as we call it, Jersey. I saw it in seven, 72, I think I was senior in college. And the major impression I had was the loudness of the film, which accentuated an already extremely violent film. And I met some, a friend of mine told me about a decade or two later that his professor at college had taken the class to see the movie and he told them, apparently he, I don't know how he knew this, that apparently Kubrick had uh, made notes and sent it to the theaters or the people who are running the theater to actually turn up the volume in the, uh, for the soundtrack, which, you know, may or may not be true, but I mean, it was the loudest soundtrack. And I, I mean, it did blow your socks off. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think as, and then I had seen the movie three times in the seventies. I saw it twice in 1979 in Italy, once in English with Italian subtitles, and then once in Italian with no subtitles. Um, and it was interesting. The, the Italian youth, definitely liked the violence. They were into the violence. Uh, that was one thing I noted about it. Uh, after seeing the movie in 72, I, I bought the soundtrack uh, a cassette. And then of course that got broken within a couple of years. I bought another one. Then later I bought the CD. And I also own the uh, Car uh, Walter Wendy Carlos's uh, vinyl album of her original music for the movie, which has some stuff that's in there, some stuff that's not. And I've read the book about three or four times. And it's, you know, but I at the time I saw it, I was in the Axis. I was uh, called the Peck and Paul Kubrick Axis. Axis. Uh, you know, and I think I saw about near the same time I saw Straw Dogs. Speaking of a uh, a violent sex scene that could rival um, the uh, Clockwork Orange. And I, I thought of another, at the time, another violent sex scene. I can't think of what, what it is. But anyway, uh, probably best not to think of it. Um, but that was, you know, a it was a great time. I mean, it, it was such... Great movies. Not long after Last Tango in Paris came out, mm. you know, with another famous sex scene, or many sex scenes. Uh, this it, this struck me as a time, and, and it's probably partly an illusion created by looking back, you know, forty some years, that an intense period of films uh, that were just, you know, actually probably the most important films that I've seen were probably made back then, and and. Kubrick's work, you know, sort of is at the height of it. Stanley Dorfman from Wayne, Pennsylvania. In the middle of the film, I found my head spinning around like this, which for me is usually a good sign that I'm seeing something that is shocking my senses, which I really enjoy. So certainly the, the music in the film gave me a renewed appreciation for Ludwig van. And I said to myself right in the middle of this film, wait a minute, I thought I walked into love story. 
And I had this awakening that it was not love story. And, and back to something that Robert said, yeah, those early 70s, there seemed to be a plethora of great films that we're still talking about today, which, which of course was one of the, um, the, the goals of Kubrick and everything that he did because he was a true master. He wasn't creating something for the moment. He was creating something. Everything that he created was for the ages. When I walked out of the theater, last thing I'll say about that, uh, indeed, my head did spin, which again, for me, is a sign that I really liked it. Doesn't mean that I understood it, which only meant that I would have to see it again and probably again before I would begin to possibly understand part of it. Same thing, same reaction that I had after walking out of 2001, uh, a couple years earlier. And uh, to this day, <laughs> I just watched Full Metal Jacket again the other night and, and Eyes Wide Shut again. And I still have the same reaction. Still, tr still trying to figure them all out. Hey, we'd like to put out a very special thanks to Mark Lentz, who organized some of these recordings through his SCAS Academy Zoom sessions. These weekly discussions on all things Kubrick are open to all. Again, just Google Meetup Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society to find the link and sign up. Check out the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society and do check out our YouTube channel, the KU Facebook page and YouTube channel to check out more content from us. So, this is Jason Furlong thanking you all for listening on behalf of Stephen Rigg, Mark Lentz, and everyone who participated in this chat. We'll have more coming for you very soon and loads of new content coming throughout 2023. So stay tuned. Over and out. It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. These guys aren't scientists. They're making it up as they go along. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick podcast. Come back soon. It was real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out. This show comes to you from the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society.